Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Hello, America. It is Eric Erickson here. I hope you are doing well. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-973-7425. Phone lines are open and operators are standing by, so to speak. Now, I, I got to begin with this story that is, it, it's infuriating me uh, to no end. This is not the big story of the day. I did not want to give it um, disproportionate attention as the big story of the day because, and when you when you hear, you'll understand. It's 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 not the high drama of the day, but it is a problem. This is an opinion piece in the Washington Post by Leonard Downey Jr. He is a former executive editor of the Washington Post and a professor at the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication at Arizona State University. And he laments the idea of objectivity in the press. He's a liberal. He was the executive editor of the Washington Post from from 91 to to some such, uh, I think to the early 2000s. He's, I mean, he probably would not characterize himself as a liberal, but he's a liberal. And I I need to read you part of this piece that he wrote. Amid all the profound challenges and changes roiling the American news media today, newsrooms are debating whether traditional objectivity should still be the standard for news reporting. Objectivity is defined by most dictionaries as expressing or using facts without distortion by personal beliefs, biases, feelings, or prejudice. Journalistic objectivity has been generally understood to mean much the same thing. But increasingly, reporters, editors, and media critics argue that the concept of journalistic objectivity is a distortion of reality. They point out that the standard was dictated over years or over decades by male editors in predominantly white newsrooms and reinforced their own view of the world. They believe that pursuing objectivity can lead to false balance or misleading both sidesism in covering stories about race, the treatment of women, LGBTQ plus rights, income inequality, climate change, and many other subjects. And in today's diversifying newsrooms, they feel it negates many of their own identities, life experiences, and cultural contexts, keeping them from pursuing truth in their works. Do you hear all the intersectional wokeisms in there? Um, I want to do something that I haven't done in quite a while. In large part because uh, it requires reading a good bit of context. And I'm going to try not to get you lost. But I I need to, instead of me putting this in my own words, I, I actually need to read this from uh, the theologian Tim Keller. This this isn't a, a preach piece. This, uh, though, is on... Tim Keller wrote a piece a number of years ago, and I have referenced it repeatedly on this program for, for several years, 
on the different concepts of justice. He wrote this piece around the time I think of the George Floyd riots as there was this rise of intersectionalism and the conversations even within church communities about how to approach this stuff. And he was giving the different views of justice in the world and comparing them to the biblical worldview. But he does a very good job of describing intersectionalism better even than I can myself. And so I do want to read you some of this. Uh, his view of, of, of justice, the postmodern view of justice, is about power. Drawing on the teachings of Karl Marx, what can be called postmodern critical theory has emerged very recently with its own account of justice, which is sharply different from the others. Because it has taken shape more recently and has come on the scene so forcefully, we need to take time to describe it. First, the explanation of all unequal outcomes and wealth, well-being are always at bottom, a way for people to get or maintain social status, wealth, and therefore power over others. Third, reality is nothing but power. And if that is the case, then to see reality, power must be mapped through the means of intersectionality. The categories are race, gender, sexual orientation, sexual identity, and sometimes others. If you are white, male, straight, cisgender, then you have the highest power. If you are none of these things, you're the most marginalized and oppressed. And there are numerous categories in the middle. Most importantly, each category towards the powerless end of the spectrum has greater moral authority and a greater ability to see the way truly things are. Only powerlessness and oppression bring moral high ground and knowledge. Therefore, those with more privilege must not enter into any debate. They have no right or ability to advise the oppressed, blinded as they are by their social location. They have to give up power. The main way power is exercised is through language, through dominant discourses. A dominant discourse is any truth claim, whether grounded in supposed reason and science or in religion and morality. Language does not merely describe reality, it constructs or creates it. Power structures mask themselves behind the language of rationality and truth. So academia hides its unjust structures behind academic freedom. Corporations talk about free enterprise. Science talks about empirical objectivity. Religion talks about divine truth. All of these seeming truth claims are really just constructed narratives designed to dominate and as such must be unmasked. Reasoned debate and freedom of speech therefore is out. It only gives unjust discourse airtime. The only way to reconstruct reality in a just way is to subvert the dominant discourse and that requires control of speech. Now, there's a lot more in what Keller wrote, but you had to hear those paragraphs to get back to this. Listen again to what this guy says about the news. He's writing, suggesting the media needs to abandon the standard of objectivity. Increasingly, he writes, reporters, editors, and media critics argue the concept of journalistic objectivity is a distortion of reality. They point out that the standard was dictated by male editors in predominantly white newsroom, enforcing their view of the world. They believe pursuing objectivity can lead to false balance or both sidesism in covering race, the treatment of women, LGBTQ rights, income inequality, climate change, and many other subjects. They feel it negates their own identities, life experiences, and culture contexts, keeping them from pursuing truth 
in their work. Whose truth? This is the problem. You know what objectivity is? Definitionally, objectivity means being fair to all sides and capturing the viewpoints of all as accurately as you can to convey what is the truth, not your truth, but the truth. For these younger reporters then to suggest objectivity is a distortion of reality, remember what intersectionalism says. Reality is defined by words. So if you are presenting both sides, you're presenting a balanced reality. What if you want to tip the balance of reality? Well, then you can't have that objectivity because you have to pick a winner and a loser and use your words to present a reality hostile to one side or the other. So, in issues of race or women or LGBTQ plus rights or income inequality or climate change or other subjects, you can't fairly represent the side that you consider is the oppressive side. So when it comes to LGBTQ rights, you can't present Jack Phillips as a baker trying to live his religion. You have to present him as a bigot who is denying people access to his cake. Never mind that there are other cake bakers within a quarter mile of Jack Phillips' shop in uh, Aurora, Colorado. That That's irrelevant. The relevant truth The truth of the reporter is that Jack Phillips is preventing someone from happiness. Essentially, what these people are trying to acknowledge, what they're actually saying, when you listen to this, white male editors in newsrooms required objectivity, which reinforced their own view of the world. In other words, They're subtly admitting, dare I say, that white male editors are the only fair people in the newsroom, the only people willing to be honest. They don't want to say that, but that's what they're saying because essentially they're saying that that they got to have a dog in the fight. Younger reporters, they're not there to report who, what, where, when, why, and how. That's what the old white guys wanted. The old white guys wanted you to say, what's going on? What's both sides' position? Where is this happening? The young reporters want to say, this guy is wrong, objectively wrong. I intend to paint him as the villain in my story. Now, here's the problem. A free people need a free press. And these younger reporters seeking to live out their truth in their reporting skew things towards their lived experience, which may not be the lived experience of the reader. And because it's not the lived experience of the reader, if they want truth, they can't share their truth. They have to share the truth. And the truth has to encapsulate all sides. When they paint one side as the bad guy and that person happens to be the reader, suddenly the reader no longer trusts that they're being fairly represented in the newspaper. And that breaks down and destroys further trust in the media. The headline of this piece that I did not tell you, the headline of this piece in the Washington Post is this, newsrooms that move beyond objectivity can build trust. How do you build trust when you're acknowledging your reporters wish to report using their biases?
when your reporters report picking winners and losers, when your reporters report not the truth, but what they think is their own truth, when they impute their values into a story to determine how to shape the story, no one's saying you don't have biases and you give up your biases. The point of objectivity is to recognize you have biases and be fair to the side you are biased against. And what this guy and so many younger members of the media are now saying is stop doing that. Give in to your biases and report your biased perspective. And by being open about your biased perspective, you will somehow gain trust of people who you're biased against. It makes no sense. Intersectionalism is nonsensical. It is part of a secular religion. In a day and age when people do not want other people's religion foisted on them in any way, shape, or form, the news media itself is attempting to foist their secular religion on everyone through intersectional woke garbage that no one can trust. And you can't trust it because they're admitting going into it that they have biases they intend to live out in their reporting. A free people need a free press. A woke press is not free, therefore it undermines the freedoms of this country by having a press corps that is hostile to so many elements of this country when they are not in those intersectional classes. If the media can't figure this out, they're all going to go bankrupt. And if they can't figure it out and go bankrupt, that's probably for the best. The weather outside might be frightful, but in your bed, you've got super soft bowl and branch sheets to sleep under. They'll keep you comfortable. They're just the perfect weight. Summer, winter, fall, spring, the perfect weight, and they get softer every wash. And right now, with the weather so cold outside, you want to just be snuggled up inside. They're the perfect sheets under which you and your loved one can snuggle. And right now, you can get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC at BowlinBranch.com. That's BowlinBranch, B-O-L-L. A-N-D-Branch.com. The promo code is Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Bullet Branch sheets are the perfect 100% organic cotton threads that get softer every wash. Not only do they get softer every wash, but they the drape across your body is just perfect. I really enjoy mine. We've got them now on multiple beds in the house. We've just kept buying them because they're so soft. And every wash, they get softer. And right now, get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BolandBranch.com. That's BolandBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code ERIC. Yes, you can be a part of the program should you wish to be a part of the program. Uh, the phone number, as JJ said, the voice, 877-973-7425. Glad to have you with me. I I got um, to spend a moment on Ron DeSantis. Uh, he, he's given a big speech on higher education reform. He's doing prison reform. He's doing higher education reform. And this is one of the things that he announced he was doing. Uh, It's getting a lot of buzz, even from some people on the left who are kind of tired of the intersectional nonsense that's out there. All DEI and CRT bureaucracies in the state of Florida, no funding, and that will wither on the vine. And I think that that's very important because it really serves as an ideological filter, a political filter. You've seen different things. I mean, New College has really embraced that, and that's part of the reason I think it hasn't been successful and the enrollments down so much, uh, because I think people want to see 
uh, true academics, and they want to get rid of some of the uh, political window dressing that seems to accompany all this. So that's no longer going to be uh, in the state of Florida, and I think we probably are the first state uh, that's actually leading uh, by example. But I can tell you those bureaucracies are not representative of what the people of this state and the taxpayers of this state want. So he's getting rid of all the DEI and critical race theory stuff. In, in a, I, I got to tell you, I was kind of shocked when I went to college back in the 90s that you could actually get a degree in African-American studies, in queer theory, in women and gender studies. Uh, the, the, these, these diversity degrees, I mean, how are you going to get a job with one of those, in all honesty? I mean, what what on what what is your job going to be? You get a degree in women and gender studies. I mean, your job, I guess, is is to have a deep, angry voice and burn stuff in the street when you don't get your way. I mean, deeply malcontented victimization studies. You're going to get a degree in how you were a victim, and then I guess you you then get a job in HR. That that's that's the the, the ticket here. You you uh, shake a company down and get a DEI job. I guess it's all a bunch of waste of money nonsense. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, more than welcome to call in. Before I move on, I actually want to take a phone call here. Uh, Let's start this half hour with Matt. Welcome to the show, Matt. How are you? Good, Eric. How are you? Good. What's going on? Uh, so I had I wanted to get your opinion on my opinion of DeSantis. He seems to me to be much more of a libertarian than a Republican, and I feel like he'd have a much longer reach across the aisle if he did get elected, get a lot you more know, things accomplished. So this is the thing. I'm I'm glad you you raised this point. This is what I think a lot of people don't understand about DeSantis. Uh, he was uh, for the longest time a. Um, very conservative member of the House Freedom Caucus who was more aligned with Thomas Massey in in his strain of libertarianism than he had been in in anything else. He was one of the people who participated in the coup to toss Boehner, uh, actually helped orchestrate getting rid of John Boehner for trying to uh, improve uh, the hand of conservatives in the House before he kind of got frustrated with what happened after that and jumped out to run for uh, the the governor's mansion. He is ideologically very small government, which puts him, I think, more in line with a with a libertarian bent to a degree. Uh, he has embraced social conservatives as as part of a coalition, but is much more a live and let live. And that's kind of if you listen to what he says, and you listen to how he operates. Uh, it's the left would have you believe that he is opposed to gay rights or some such. And actually it's, he has no problem with, with gay people, with transgenderism, with gay rights. What he has a problem with is forcing it on other people as opposed to a live and let live situation. And and the perfect example here is this audio. This is a, a little bit of a lengthy excerpt, but it's worth hearing for context. This is Christian Amanpour. On PBS now, I gotta I gotta preface this by going back to what I was talking about in the last half hour: the, this abandoning of objectivity in favor of uh, your passions and your uh, core beliefs and your truth and your lived experience, as opposed to an objective reality of the way the world works. And Christian Amanpour, always of the left, really hates Ron DeSantis. The United States of America, so-called global superpower based on human rights and universal rights, 
freedom of expression, freedom to be the individual. We're seeing right now today the very laws and norms and, and social acceptances that have, that, have, that have come towards LGBTQ being challenged, whether it's at the court level or, let's just say, the governor of, of Florida, or somebody who clearly wants to be the next president, has implemented a whole raft of strange, strange requests, bills, laws. Well, how do you see it going in, in Florida? There was a study that came out a few weeks ago that said that children growing up in states where gay marriage was legal prior to federal recognition had significantly better mental health than children growing up in states where it was illegal. And I had what was to me a shocking experience, which is that I was giving a lecture on youth suicide that was sponsored by the largest children's hospital in northern Texas. And I went down there, and before I came, they said someone was going to interview me after the lecture, and they wanted to look over my notes before I came down. And I said, well, my notes won't make that much sense to you. I said, but I'll send you some because of I the anecdotes yeah. I'm going to tell. Exactly. And so I sent them a few things, and I got a message from a children's hospital saying, one of the people you talk about is transgender. And uh, transgender children is a very politicized issue here, and we feel that you're talking about that will alienate a lot of people. So we would like to ask you to skip that story. And I ended up giving the lecture, telling that story, and ending by saying that anyone who supported legislation, like the legislation in Texas, that takes medical decisions out of the hands of children, their doctors, and their parents, and puts it in the hands of people who have no qualifications, thereby further stigmatizing... Exactly. Thereby further stigmatizing what is already the most marginalized group in America, that those people have blood dripping from their hands. Oh, you got that? Blood dripping from their hands. That's that's where we are now uh, as, as a nation. The rhetoric from the left, blood dripping from their hands. Um, there's a lot to unpack here. But I want you to notice, no, notice the very distinct bias from Christiane Amanpour and her guest. It is a very distinct bias with hostility toward anyone who does not embrace their worldview. All DeSantis wants to do in Florida, all, all conservatives want to do is say, leave us alone. We don't agree with you. Leave us alone. Stop trying to indoctrinate our children. And by the way, the, the conservatives are, in fairness, also saying, uh, don't allow a 13-year-old to castrate himself or have a hysterectomy and, and make a situation irreversible because they've been pushed and indoctrinated into this idea of, of gender dysphoria and transgenderism. You know, J.K. Rowling, the author the other day, getting heat again for pointing out how many young gay people now are being advised that actually you're not gay, you're transgender. Uh, you don't have a same-sex attraction. You actually uh, are in the wrong body. And there's an alarming number of stories coming out of, uh, for example, Great Britain, where these sorts of things are happening. And alarm bells are going off that something is truly not right. Now, we're seeing this in this country 
and we're seeing a media that is really, really hostile to traditional values. Christian Amon Board, deeply hostile to, to traditional values, uh, has long hated uh, Christian conservatives in this country in her reporting and her biases and the way she asks questions, uh, yet she continues to be elevated by the mainstream media into positions of power now where she can be further insulting to, um, to people. But it's not just her, it's the left in general. We need to talk again about Jack Phillips in Colorado. And I want out of the gate to make this just very clear to you. I, I don't care if you disagree with me on, on my worldview. I, I, I don't care and, and I don't hate you if you are gay, if you're lesbian, if you're transgender. I just I, I want you to think about our constitutional construct as a nation. When our founders, however flawed they may be, I would still argue even in their flaws created the best country on the planet. And they gave us the most enduring written constitutional system in in the modern world. And we have the power to amend it if we decide we've grown beyond it. A lot of people want to make changes but don't want to bother amending it. They just want to scream about it. And our founders actually amended it more than any other generation. They immediately, they passed it and to uphold promises, then wrote into it what's called the Bill of Rights. And the very first amendment says not just that the government cannot establish a religion, but that in your daily life, you get the free exercise of your religion. Not only that, but the way they did it and the wording of the provision was to make it very clear that your right to exercise your religion is sacred. It is established. You have five rights in the First Amendment. You have the right to religion. You have the right to speech, of press, of assembly, and the right to petition the government. But more importantly, to a degree, within the text of the First Amendment, the way it actually breaks down, Congress shall make no law establishing a religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And what, what the Supreme Court did over time is make a mistake, and it, it, it decided to embrace secularism as, well, it's not establishing a religion, except secularism has become a religion. I'm actually writing a book on this topic. But also, you get the free exercise of your religion. If you will recall, when Barack Obama was president, he argued that that free exercise clause only applied to worship. You get an hour a week to freely exercise your religion. And nine to nothing, even his appointees to the Supreme Court struck him down and said, no, no, it means a, a, the actual free exercise thereof. And here's the thing. That is the first right in the First Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. You cannot read the Constitution and find a right to an abortion, a right to transgender elective surgeries or anything like that. You can find this right 
to practice your religion. Which gets me to Jack Phillips, the baker in Colorado, who is headed back into federal court. Because yet again, the Colorado Civil Rights Commission and activists have hounded him. Jack Phillips is not just a cake baker, but an artist. He is world-renowned for the art in his cakes. He had a two-gay activist ask him for a wedding cake. He is Christian. He won't even make cakes for a divorced couple getting remarried. He said, I can't do that. It's against my religion. He should have the right to exercise his religion in the public, in his job, in his vocation. And the Colorado Civil Rights Commission compared him to a Nazi and told him, bake the cake, bigot, or go out of business. He refused and went to the Supreme Court and on a very technical grounds of existing hostility from the commission where he couldn't get a fair hearing, they threw it out. And immediately, a transgender activist on the day he won his case in court showed up at his office, at his a bakery and asked for a transition cake and he refused and immediately was hauled back into court. Why Jack Phillips continues to be persecuted? Well, I mean, theologically, scripture says you'll be persecuted if you're a Christian, but this is it. He's back in court again. He's continually harassed. The Constitution says Jack Phillips gets the free exercise of his religion. Nowhere in the Constitution does it say you get your best life now, but it does say that Jack Phillips gets to exercise his religion. He's exercising his religion in his workplace. The level of harassment from people on the left against Jack Phillips is unacceptable, and this from Christian Amanpour on PBS with this guy claiming that you have blood on your hands if you don't want a 13-year-old to castrate himself because someone has convinced him he's transgender. It's a deeply subversive, perverse thing that they're doing. The people for whom the Constitution says have a right to operate in certain ways are considered the bad guys. And the people with no provision whatsoever under the law are demanding that we give them uh, rights and privileges and that anyone who disagrees with them has to be punished. It's a deeply subversive, divisive thing, and, and I don't think it's sustainable. And along comes a guy like Ron DeSantis in Florida, and he just says, "We, if you want to live your life this way, this is fine, but we don't think that you should be uh, indoctrinating other people into this. If you want to do it on your own time, that's fine, but not as a government-subsidized institution. You're picking a side. And now they're vilifying the governor of Florida for just saying, live and let live, but the government shouldn't be subsidizing you picking a side when a lot of people disagree with that side. The left isn't willing to live and let live here. They want to impose their secular worldview on the rest of us. They want to engage essentially in jihad in a level of religious conversion to their faith beliefs of secularism. This is a battle of religions in this country. uh, And for secularism, there can be no competitor. It's got to be secularism or bust. And unfortunately, they want to bust up a lot of people who are refusing to go along with their religious convictions. One of the groups pushing back on all this stuff is called Patriot Mobile. How? It's a cell phone company. What, what is it? Well, the left started doing this a number of years ago. The left started a cell phone company, 
and they designed it so that a portion of the profits of this left-wing cell phone company would go to left-wing causes. And a buddy of mine on the right, Chris Wilson, who I've had on the program before, said, well, if the left can do it, we can do it too. And he and some friends came up with the idea of Patriot Mobile, where if you take your cell phone business to them, you get guaranteed great service because they use the same cell towers everyone else uses, but then they take a portion of their profits and fund conservative causes to, talk to complete with Phillips the left. Whoa, why am I playing myself? There we go. And the result of this is that Patriot Mobile can fund conservative causes that uh, you yourself may not be able to have the bandwidth to fund. And so you compound the dollars into the conservative movement by using Patriot Mobile in exchange you get guaranteed great cell phone service using the same cell towers that the big companies use. You can even take your existing cell phone number to Patriot Mobile or get a new phone number from them. You can take an unlocked phone to them if you want or get a new phone from them. And they give a portion of their profits to the causes you care about, from the Second Amendment to the pro-life movement to the conservative movement to battling woke school board members with authentic conservative candidates. All you got to do is go to PatriotMobile.com slash Eric to move your business, or you can call them 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation with my name at PatriotMobile.com slash Eric or 972-PATRIOT. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Wherever you are nationwide, they can help your business grow. Reach out to them. Uh, FirstLibertyGA.com is the website. FirstLibertyGA.com. Tell them I sent you. Uh, you get great service for them from them. Now, your phone calls, if you want to call in, 877-973-7425. There is some news you need to know about, uh, national political news. Former governor of Indiana and and Purdue University President Mitch Daniels has decided he's not going to run for the U.S. Senate. Uh, He he has this habit in the past of deciding not to run for office, and who can blame him? Uh, It was thought he wanted to run for the U.S. Senate. Jim Banks, uh, the current congressman, one of the current congressmen from Indiana, has already announced He's going to run for the U.S. Senate, and he's a great guy. He would be my preference. Jim Banks will be a fantastic member of the Senate. I've already invited him to the gathering in August to be on stage. And Daniels, I, you know, people my age back in the early 2000s, he was the Office of Management and Budget Director and had a very firm grasp of the numbers and the need to save money and reduce the budget. He was a very strong fiscal conservative. And there was this flirtation with him of, oh, he would make a great president of the United States. But then he became governor of Indiana and was a very good governor of Indiana, but decided that we should all take a pass on social conservative issues. And for a lot of us who were intrigued by Mitch Daniels, his surrender on social issues rubbed us the wrong way. We're like, yeah, no, I don't think so. Um, Now he's not going to run. I suspect um, the Senate Republicans, a lot of them will rally to Jim Banks. Uh, Rumor is J.D. Vance of Ohio is about to endorse Jim Banks, if he hasn't already. I think he might have done so this morning. Uh, I like Jim Banks a ton. Uh, he's a, I wouldn't say quite a friend. We know each other. We text back and forth. Don't really hang out with him, but really like the guy a lot. And I would be endorsing him anyway for the U S Senate. And with Mitch Daniels out of the way, it makes the path easier for Jim Banks to become the next U S Senator from the state of Indiana. 
Now, when we come back, we we got more that we got to talk about. Uh, I've left a lot on the cutting room floor so far, including uh, Chris Carr, the attorney general in Georgia, is rallying attorneys general nationwide to push the FCC and the government for something in particular, that is to ban cell phones, to be able to block cell phone signals inside prisons because of what a lot of prisoners nationwide are doing, engaging in illicit activities behind bars. Uh, I want to talk about that. We've got economic news we've got to talk about as well when we come back uh, across the nation. It is the Eric Erickson Show.